0: This new series called "Twisting the Truth," and we're going to look at a couple of really big lies today that the enemy tries to get you to believe. First one is on your listening guide, and it's this: <clears throat> rebellion equals freedom. Rebellion equals freedom. How old were you the first time you bought into that lie? Maybe a teenager. Maybe early on. Two. <laughs> remember, remember what it was like to think that if I just didn't have parents to tell me what to do, life would be awesome. Or when you got into school, if my teachers weren't around, man, then life would be good. And it didn't take us long to realize that if we rebelled against all authority all the time, that eventually we would have all of our freedoms removed, right? Because Palestine is surrounded by major prisons filled with people who thought They didn't have to pay attention to some major rules. And so now that they broke those rules, ignored them, they've had all of their freedoms removed, right? So most of us are a little bit more sophisticated in our thinking by this time. And, you know, we don't want to go to prison. So we'll obey a law if the consequences are too severe, just because we don't want to get in trouble. Not necessarily that we agree with the law, but really most of us have the attitude that rules are okay as long as I, I agree with them. If I disagree with a rule, I'll just ignore it. Instead of dismissing all authority all the time, we'll evaluate, evaluate the rules one rule at a time. And if it goes too far, if it's too restrictive, then we'll just ignore that rule. And, you know, if I think the speed limit's too slow, too low, then, then I'll ignore it. If I think my taxes are too high, then I'll just fudge a little. If I disagree with curfew, I'll just... Disregard curfew and come in anytime I want to. Now, last week, we talked about this kind of in depth, that there, there is an invisible world that impacts the visible world. Everyone here agrees that there are some germs that we can't see that, given the right set of circumstances, will invade our lives, the visible world. And eventually they will become visible because they will wreak havoc on you. Happened to me last Sunday night, got through Sunday and then Sunday night, all of a sudden this head cold hit me by, by Monday morning. I felt horrible. Everyone here agrees that there are invisible germs that will invade your world and mess you up, right? Right? Everybody agrees with that? Well, we said in the same way, there are some invisible spiritual forces that are looking to invade your world with the sole purpose of destroying your life. Now, almost everybody here believes in God. Everybody in this room probably believes in God. You believe that there is an invisible force who impacts the visible world. And i got to tell you, there's good news. You're halfway there. It's the other half of the equation that you ignore. Jesus, God's son, the one who was invisible, put on flesh so that he could become visible. He said, there is a real enemy named the devil who wants to destroy you. And unlike germs and bacteria where you have to have a microscope, you don't need a microscope to see the invisible spiritual world that has messed you up. All you really need is a rearview mirror to look back at the times that you rebelled. Because if you're honest and you look back to when you made some really dumb choices, you'll see that you were deceived in your thinking. You can look back at those, those bad choices and you can say, Man, how could I not see where this path was taking me? How could I be so dumb? How, what was I thinking, right? Anybody agree? And the sad thing is, you actually had people in your life that were saying to you, wake up. This person's bad for you. Can't you see they're using you? Can't you see? Can't listen to me. You're destroying your life. But we couldn't see. We wouldn't listen because we were deceived. And the craziest part of all of it is, we were so deceived that we actually thought we were the only enlightened people. Everyone else was deceived. They just didn't know what we knew. But now we look back and we say, man, I was dumb. I was messed up. It's a really happy message today. Well, the Bible makes it clear that it wasn't your parents' fault. It wasn't that they painted your room the wrong color when you were a baby. It wasn't that your dad liked your brother better than you. The Bible makes it very clear that there's an invisible force who wants nothing more than to destroy you. And the way that he destroys you, the devil destroys you, is by deception. And Jesus even went on to say, if, you're, if you rebel instead of following God, you're really a follower of Satan and you are related to him and he's your daddy. Now, some of you are going to be thinking, isn't it just the religious nutjobs that believe in the devil? Well, I'm not even asking you to believe me. It really boils down to, do you believe Jesus? Because we looked at John chapter 8. If you, if you weren't here, get the, get the CD or go online and you can listen to it. Jesus said in John chapter 8, very clearly, there's an enemy, his name is Satan, and he wants to mess you up. And anytime we rebel and we go after him... We're following him and he is our daddy. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at some major twists, some major things that Satan has thrown out there when it comes to authority. And and I think I'm pretty sure that you and I are a lot alike in this. Let me let me describe how I am. And you see if you uh, your life patterns with mine when I'm in authority. I think authority is pretty cool. See, the Bible says that, that the husband is the ha- uh, head of the household. And, and I'm a husband, and I like that rule. That's a good rule. And my wife fully supports that rule. So, yay, God. I like that one. Bible says, children, obey your parents. I'm a parent. That's a good rule. Man, even if you don't know why, you just whip that one out. God said you're supposed to obey me. Why? It's in there. Talk to him. Don't talk to me. I like that rule. Good rule. God, I applaud your foresight for including that one in the Bible. Woo, nice rule. Yeah, every parent here. Yes. I'm pastor of a growing church and there's some authority that goes with that. The Bible says as long as I'm following Christ, that's the that's the key. Then you're supposed to follow me. So we rule. I like that one. You see, the bottom line is, I like authority when I'm in authority roles or I like it when authority agrees with my position. I like to be able to call the police. I don't want the police called on me, right? It's perfectly acceptable to see those lights flashing in front of me. I don't want to see the lights behind me. Police can chase somebody else all day, especially if they mess with me. But I don't want to see those lights in my rearview mirror. Anybody here relate to that? Ah, okay, there's two of us. All right. This is just for you and me. Well, here's the big twist. Your enemy says that when it comes to authority, he wants you to ask the question, what? This is on your listening guide. The enemy wants to convince you that the question you're supposed to ask is what? What am I being asked to do? The twist from the devil is if I don't agree with the what, then I don't have to obey the rule. And if I can disobey the rule without any consequences, then then I'm going to disobey it. You better believe that I'm going to disregard what I think is a dumb rule because it's a dumb rule in the first place. And and if I, in my limited wisdom, can see that a rule is a dumb rule, surely God, with his infinite wisdom, would agree with me that it's a dumb rule. And so I'm standing over here with God going, Dumb rule, God. Who's the dork that thought that one up? Right? Anybody like that? Now, if there are consequences, I might follow the rule just because I don't want to get in trouble. But I don't follow it because I agree with the rule. I follow it just because I don't want to get in trouble. But for the most part, I ignore dumb rules and you do too. Now, before you get all worked up, I'm not talking about going 31 in a 30. I'm not talking about whether you come to a complete stop before you turn right on red. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. What about a 16-year-old boy getting into the car with a bunch of other 16-year-old boys who have a couple of six packs of beer? Because, see, if we follow the white rule, the 16-year-old boy says, Dumb rule. Dumb rule says we can't drink. Dumb rule says we're underage. Dumb rule. I'm just going to get in here and and we've evaluated the rule and we think it's dumb. So we're just going to ignore that rule. What about the open container law? Excuse me. Germs. What about the open container law? That that says, you know, you can't have any open alcohol in the car. Dumb rule. Dumb rule. We've evaluated that we can handle our drinking. Now, no drinking and driving, that's a good rule for you. But for me, that's not a good rule. So I'm just going to ignore that rule. Hmm. If we don't like the rule, then we just won't play by the rules. And the problem is, when you open your Bible, you get a completely different take on authority. Y'all knew this was coming, didn't you? The twist says... That when it comes to authority and rules, you ask the question, what? The Bible, however, says when it comes to rules and authority, the truth is the right question is you ask who? Now, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, do that. If you have your smartphones and you have a Bible app on there, you can turn to Romans chapter 13. Now, I believe every word that's in this in this Bible, it is the inspired word of God. And so I believe if the Bible says it, then then you follow it. However, a lot of you don't really necessarily believe that all of this is inspired. So let me tell you what gives these words credibility. Before we read Romans chapter 13, I want to tell you what gives them credibility besides the fact that they're in the Bible. Now, Paul is writing a letter (coughs) to Christians in Rome. This is not a good time to be in Rome. If you know anything about the first century Roman Empire, you did not want to be a Christian then because... The Romans believed that Caesar was a god, lowercase g, but, you know, we we say there's one god, uppercase g, lowercase g god. They believed, and they would say, we have no god but Caesar. So if you claim to follow the one true god, and you reject the fact that Caesar is god, it's not a popular place for you to be. On top of that, when this letter was written, when Romans was written, the dude who was emperor was named Nero, and Nero was not a good guy. Nero comes to power through his, his mom. She marries somebody and she kind of finagles things and he becomes the next in line because he was actually somehow blood-related to Caesar Augustus, the one that was alive when Jesus was there. So he gets into power kind of by a twisted thing and then he decides that his mom has too much power so he has her assassinated. He uh, he gets into an argument with his first wife. doesn't really like her, so he kills her himself. He doesn't give it to somebody else. He just kills her. Not a good guy. <coughs> uh, If you read about history, you'll see that the the great Roman fire that that burned for nine consecutive days happened when Nero was out of the city. He was off doing some emperor thing. And when he came back, his city was destroyed. And so he began to rebuild and, and he thought, well, this is a great time to build myself a better palace. And so people said, oh, you probably started the fire so you could have a better palace. And he goes, hmm, I need somebody to blame. Let's blame, I know, the Christians. So let's persecute them and blame them for the great Roman fire. So some of the times he would put the Christians in, in uh, places and just let wild dogs attack them and rip them to shreds till they died. Sometimes he would put Christians on a stake, cover them with some type of burning fuel, and light them on fire and burn them to death. But then the ultimate insult to light up his garden and his parties, he would bring Christians, tie them to a stake and use them as human torches. This guy was evil, and he was the one that was in charge when Paul wrote these verses. Now, with that as a backdrop, I want to read you what God's word has to say about authority. Verse 1. Excuse me. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. How much authority comes from God? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. All authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Paul, are you smoking crack, dude? Do you know the rules in Rome? Have you heard of Nero? Paul says it doesn't matter who's in charge. The principle is exactly the same. It doesn't matter who is in authority. It's not about what they tell you to do. It's all about who started authority in the first place. All authority comes from God. All authorities have been established by God. Now, this doesn't mean that God agrees with all people in places of authority, and it doesn't mean that all people in places of authority agree with God. But truth number two is, God always works through human authority. God always works through human authority. I double-dog dare you to read the Scripture and come to me and show me sometime that God did not work through human authority. It's all throughout the pages of Scripture. He works through good human authority. He works through bad human authority. He works through righteous human authority. He works through unrighteous human authority. He works through believing authorities. He works through unbelieving authorities. God is bigger than the authority, so he can work through anyone at any time. He always works through human authority, and it's not about what they ask you to do. It's about who established authority from the beginning. So are you saying, if I rebel against my parents... I'm rebelling against God? Are you saying that if I rebel against my employer, I'm rebelling against God? Are you saying that if I rebel against the government, I'm rebelling against God? That's exactly what I'm saying. So wait, if that is true, then everything that happens outside these walls is a spiritual issue. That means the way I, I do my job Is a spiritual issue? That means the way I do my taxes is a spiritual issue? That means the way I parent is a spiritual issue? That means the way I have sex and whether I have sex outside the bonds of marriage is a spiritual issue? Yes. Because you can't separate the physical from the spiritual according to God, not according to me. According to the Bible. According to the Son of God. You cannot separate it. Everything in your life is a spiritual issue. Wow. Verse 2. So, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. God has established the authorities in your life. And there's people, I hear it all the time. I've done this myself. I've said, God, I love you. But this authority sucks. I don't like this authority. And God says, if you think that you can be under God's authority, but not under authorities that he has established in your life, if you can be out here, out from under their authority and still be under God's authority, he says there's a word for that. Deceived. You cannot do that. You've fallen for that lie. If you fall for that lie, you've fallen for the oldest lie in history. When Satan came to Eve and he said, let's let's really consider this whole rule thing about tree, you know, which one you can eat from and which one you can't. He said, "Uh, it's an illogical rule. It doesn't make sense. The rule itself is the problem. You see what the enemy did? The very first temptation, he twisted the truth. And he said, it's about what? you're being asked to do and it doesn't make sense so you don't do it that's the lie from hell god says it's always about who established authority in the first place truth number 3 <clears throat> this just keeps getting better your attitude and response to human authority reflects your attitude attitude and response to heavenly authority This explains a great deal of the pain and the the suffering that you've had in your Christian life. is because you've been out from under earthly authorities. And it's a direct reflection of how you respond to God. Verse 3. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Let me just ask you that. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Nobody. Do what is right and they will honor you. Okay, now I need your help. The authorities are what? Now say it again. The authorities are what? Sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are what? Sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. You see, from the beginning, man has proven to be rebellious. And so we need authorities over us. So God established an authority structure. Well, that leads to truth number four. Authorities are, you said it several times, God's servants in my life. Your boss, whether he follows God or not, is God's servant in your life. Your parents, whether they are hostile to God or not, are God's servants in your life. And I want you to put in your life on your to God. I think I left that up. God's servants in my life. Authorities are God's servants in my life. Paul is writing to Christians in the most hostile environment possible for Christianity. And he said, God works through human authority. The good ones as well as the bad ones. And some of you are sitting there and you're going, no one believes this stuff. And I say, you're right. It's because we're deceived. No one believes it. Because we're deceived. The twist is, In America, we're set up for this twist. That's that's the big thing. Because the, the more money you have, the more you're set up for this twist. The more power you have, the more you're set up for this twist. Because when you have money, you actually think that rules apply to people who have less money. When you have power, you actually think that rules apply to people who have less power. The little people rules aren't for you. Look at Congress. I'll get off of that. If you're a boss, God has said you are his servant, his agent in other people's lives. It's the way God works. Look at verse 5. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Now, avoiding punishment, every one of us here can, can relate to that, right? If my dad finds out, he'll kill me. And then someone goes, he'll never find out. Oh, well, in that case, let's go. Right? We do that all the time. We tell our kids all the time, God will tell us. And He has, right? Yeah, Caleb's a, I know that's right, in case y'all didn't hear him. There have been times God has told us stuff that our children have done. I mean, no logical explanation except that. So we say, don't mess with your parents. <clears throat> Paul goes next level, though. He said, any, any old citizen can obey just to avoid punishment. He said, a Christian should obey to be clean before God. So according to Paul, cheating on taxes is cheating on God. Cheating on a test is cheating on God. Disobeying your parents is disobeying God. Because the way you react to human authority is a direct reflection to how you react, react, I can't talk, to God's authority. Paul is telling us that it's more than keeping rules until you know you won't be caught. A, A follower of Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, takes up residence in followers of Christ. And he knows when you mess up. And the Bible says when we we rebel, we actually quench God's Holy Spirit. That means God's Spirit no longer has power and will not give us power, will not give us wisdom and discernment because we have quenched the Spirit. We are on our own when we rebel. Verse 6. So he goes back and he gives us this real clear example. This is why you pay taxes for the authorities or what? There it is again. Why do you think Paul repeats this over and over? Because we're dumb. And we don't get it. They are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Really? The Bible talks about taxes. Come on. Well, yeah. Now, I want you to think about this. Because in the United States, if you don't pay your taxes or if there's some problem with your, your taxes when you send in your 1040, you know, whenever you send that in, you get a what? If, if, if you, if you've had a problem with the IRS, no matter how minute it is, how do they notify you? With a letter. So you get a letter. In this time when Paul wrote this letter, if you didn't pay your taxes, you got a visit. A letter is much better than a visit. You're going to have an opportunity in the United States to make things right. You're going to have all of this, this opportunity to do things. But back then, they came to your house, knocked on your door, and they said, you didn't pay your taxes. Where's your wife? And they sell her. And they say, where are your children? And they sell them. And then they take all of your property and they sell it. And if, you've given, if they've gotten enough money from that, then you might get to go free. And in the midst of this, Paul says, you pay your taxes, not because the taxes are right, not because they're just, but because it's an authority above you. And God says you need to respect authorities because the way you respond to that, that earthly authority is exactly how you respond to heavenly authority. And some of you are going to say, now, now are you saying that we're not supposed to, to question authority? That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying always question authority, but there's a way to do it. There's a way to question where you stay under authority, especially in our system of government. If I don't agree with something, I have the right to write letters. I have representatives that I can contact. I have a right to to assemble in a peaceful assembly. Civil disobedience is one of my rights. If I think that it's corrupt enough, maybe I should vote a different way. And maybe I should get to know the candidates. And maybe I should really campaign for somebody. Or if it's really bad enough, maybe I should run for office, which is never going to happen. Just saying. But but maybe some of you are supposed to. But you remain under authority the whole time. Trying to think ahead here and think of some of your responses. Some of you are going, oh, okay, so, so what about the dad who, who tells his son, asks his son to rob a bank? Gotcha. Really? Really? The principle is there. The answer is in the principle. If, if an authority figure in your life abuses his authority or breaks the law, you go to the authority above him or her. And you keep going above the authority until you get all the way to God. But you remain under authority. So you don't go rob a bank that's breaking the law. Come on. What if, what if my mom asked me? No, you go to a higher authority. There may be a time when you have to make a choice. God forbid that we may have to make a choice in this country whether to obey God or men. Remember what the disciples did? They said, we're going to obey God. We're going to go to the highest authority. But until you are placed in that position, you stay under authority and you work within the authority system because the way you respond to authority, human authority, authorities you can see is a direct reflection of how you're going to react to the authorities in heaven that you cannot see. <clears throat> it's not about what, it's about who. See, the real problem is if, uh, if you just evaluate rules and you don't follow the rules that you like, Here's the bottom line today. What happens when you come across a rule in here that you don't like? I'll tell you what you're already doing. You're ignoring it. Bible says that um, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. But my neighbor's Wes. I'm supposed to love Wes like I love my... Yep. I'm supposed to love his children like I love my children. Yep. But, but see, that wasn't enough because this religious person, this lawyer came to Jesus and he said, you know, who's my neighbor? Define neighbor, Jesus. You know what Jesus did? He told the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he said, which one do you think was the neighbor? The, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan? The guy said, the Samaritan. Jesus said, go and do that. See, we're, we're always trying to get around the rules. Who's my neighbor? Guys, the Bible says that uh, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Define that for me. It means I love my wife in a way that not only does she feel my love, But she feels secure, respected. And she knows that there's no other woman for me. Because the Bible says that Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for her to present her to himself as a radiant bride without any blemish. So I love my wife sacrificially is what the Bible says. Guys, do you need to ask your wives if you're loving them like Christ loved the church? The Bible says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, dang. I got a lot of enemies. Really? I'm supposed to, Yep, that's what the Bible says. Because it's not about what you're being asked to do. It's about who asked you to do it. Give 10% to the church. Doug, you've been talking about this a lot lately. Yeah, because we're not doing it. It's what the Bible says. And see, anytime you start to argue and say, oh, well, the Bible doesn't even talk about a tithe. Well, yeah, it does. Well, the New Testament doesn't talk about a tithe. Yeah, it does. But when you start debating, you've bought the lie, and you've said it's all about what I'm being asked to do, not about who asked me to do it. And you're deceived. This, this Halloween thing, you know, it's all about scary stuff. And I used to watch all the movies. I used to go to the scariest movies. And I just don't like that stuff anymore. But I used to do all of that stuff. I want to tell you something that's really, really scary. And it, it ought to be the most scary thing that we ever encounter. It's stepping out from under the authorities that God has placed in our life. And moving out here and saying, I don't need them. Because you never know what your heavenly father is up to in your life. You have no idea how the unseen God, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, you don't know what God is doing. And if you step out from under those authorities he's placed in your life, you step out over here, you're on your own. You will miss what God has planned to bless you with. It will happen. How do I know? Let me give you a couple of quick examples. In the Old Testament, you remember when when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were under Pharaoh, another dude who thought he was God. What's up with all these humans thinking they're gods? He thought he was a god and everybody thought he was a god. We have no god but Pharaoh. You know, that type of deal. He had them making bricks and building pyramids and building statues and doing all of this stuff and beating them when they got out of line and not giving... They were slaves in Egypt. If you and I... Had shown up at that time, we might look around and go, and, and go, where is God? Because the Bible says there was a 400 year period where they didn't hear anything. 400 years? Where? God, where are you? They need to rebel. And in fact, Pharaoh said, we need to do something with these Israelites because they're like rabbits, man. They're everywhere. And if we're not careful, somebody will come in and fight against us and they're going to join them and they'll overthrow us. We need to do something. That's why they started killing the Hebrew children, all the males. Well, we'll take the women. They look pretty good, but we'll kill all the men. That way we'll keep them under control. And if you had stepped in there, you probably would have said, God, do something. And God would have said, I am. I'm building a nation. And when the right man to lead that nation out into freedom appears then i'll take this nation into into freedom without shedding any lives they won't have to kill a person god says i'll do that i'll, I'll take the firstborn i won't do it with a sword i'll do it with my mighty power and when god delivered them it was such an, an incredible thing that the israelites went to their their egyptian neighbors and said hey can you give me something for the road and they're like take everything just get out of here and so the israelites plundered the egyptians without ever raising a sword. They didn't even know how to use swords. They didn't have them. It was illegal. And God delivers over a million men, so probably about three million people, from the Egyptians. He built this nation, and nobody knew it was going on until it was already done. I can do one better than that. If you and I were to show up the last week of Jesus' life, we see the triumphal entry. We did that in Haiti. We did, that was really funny. We did that for the children's class and they just loved it. Chad was the donkey. Jared was Jesus and he got to ride in on Chad. It was awesome. Had a big old. You need to see this on. If you hadn't seen it, go look at our pictures because we got these huge ears and a tail and Chad's. And they laughed. It was funny. But if we were to see Jesus coming in on that donkey and everybody's crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then just a few days later, the religious leaders are lying about him. And they're turning him over to Romans. And we all know what Romans think about Christians. And he's being tortured. An innocent man is going to die. I have no doubt if you and I were there watching it, we'd be going, God, where are you? Why don't you do something? And God says, I am. I'm saving you. See, God can take the most horrendous sight in the world and that's the death of his son and turn it into the best possible outcome. So don't ever think that God's not working. He's saying, I am God and I always work through human authority, whether you believe it or not, your belief doesn't, doesn't determine how powerful I am. And he says, the way you respond to authority is exactly how you'll respond to me. He says, don't fall for the twist. It's not about what you're being asked to do. It's about who has established authority in the beginning. You, sit, you submit to authority not because your, your boss is perfect, but because God is. You obey your parents, teenagers, not because your parents are perfect, but because God is. Anyone in authority in your life is God's servant for your good. But, but, but yeah, what about Daniel? Daniel? He submitted to authority. It got him thrown in the lion's den. I'd kind of like to be in that story and watch God shut the mouths of lions and then the king come out the next day. Daniel, are you okay? Yes, get him up. Let's kill everybody who wanted to throw Daniel in the lion's den. They're dead. And then he raises Daniel up to the second in command because he trusted in God who establishes authority. We could go on and on. It's not about what, it's about who. And then really, we need to look in the mirror today. And we need to ask how we're responding to the human authority in our life. Because however you're doing that is exactly how you're responding to God. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I want you to just pray silently there. And say, God, what do you want me to know about the authorities in my life? Just ask him and sit there and listen for a minute. If you're in a place of authority... I want you to ask God, how do I treat people under my authority?